0: and welcome back to episode four of Pigskins and nylon i'm wally lupashinsky and i'm joined once again by my great friends and co-hosts casey mock and hayden ramsey now let's say hello to the boys hayden we'll start with you this week what's going on in your world man what's
1: going on wally today's been a really really long day but i'm hoping a night with the boys can make it a little better so that's what's on my mind
0: yes sir i love
1: that's what we're here for baby
0: Yes, sir, baby. I love it is right. And we're going to throw it over to the other co-host now, Casey Mock. It's been a week since your big announcement on here. Have things started to calm down a little bit for you or still a little crazy?
2: Nah, everything's calmed down, man. Everything's going well. My Mets are on a seven-game win streak. Sorry, Hayden. Taking over the division now. Got the lawn mode before I got on here. Had a pretty nice, easy week at work. I'm doing good. Got my Jack and Coke right here life is good. How are you doing, Wally?
0: I'm doing well myself. I unfortunately am not going to be joining you guys in the, the beverage department tonight. Last week, editing was brutal at like 1, 2 a.m. where I'm like seeing four different screens instead of the one that's in front of me. And I'm like, this is this is not good. And I'm just surprised that nothing came out of the podcast where we were just like, what was that? That wasn't, that wasn't what we were hoping for. But I'm fired up to be here, guys. Nothing crazy on my end. We, we had a little bit uh, sad news in my world this week where my employer, landscape woman that I worked with, she unfortunately passed away, worked with her and her family for a few years. But she was a really kind woman, so I'll be thinking about her. This is going to be my little ode to her with the show tonight. But otherwise, man, things are, things are going right in my world. This is We're getting into the warm weather. It's perfect time to do a little Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball talk.
2: Yes, sir. I'm excited, man. Sorry to hear that.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I obviously didn't know her so well. I'm not gonna make it sound like I, I did, but obviously, naturally, when people around you that you get to know a little bit they pass away. It's it's tough. So it's one of those things you, you just keep in mind that no day is guaranteed, and you know, I, everybody hears that. I know it's cliche, but it's the truth. But we're enough of the sad stuff. We're we're gonna be here. This is a good, happy time. This is gonna be a fun podcast. We didn't tease last week our whatever segment we call it because we haven't figured out a name. Still looking at you listeners because we're not creative if you haven't figured that out yet. But this week what we decided to do because we didn't tease it and it's a little generic and it's easy to talk about and it's not exactly as controversial because it's just our opinions. We decided to talk about the top five Big Ten football uniforms. So what we're going to do and I didn't, we didn't specify when we were talking about it. So we're not going to do the one per team. So if Hayden chooses to have five Ohio State uniforms or Casey chooses to have five Michigan uniforms, that's going to happen. So naturally, Illinois fans, get your your earmuffs on because there's probably not going to be a lot of benefit. This is your best shot. This is your best shot. Casey, I see you wanting to talk, so we're going to go to you first. Give us your top five. Go five down to one.
2: Well, I was going to say, I guess I'll start my list off. Number five, I got Illinois home uniforms. Giving some love to the Fighting Illini. I just think that their blue and orange combos are really sweet. You know, like my, my Mets who are on a seven-game win streak. Did I mention that? Yeah, the Mets are on a seven-game win streak, whatever. I, I just think. <laughs> I just think their combo looks really clean. I like the, the blue the blue unis, the orange pants with the orange helmet. I think that uniform is really clean. So for the rest of my list, you're going to see I'm not a very flashy guy. I value tradition and the, I guess, clean look that tradition brings. I don't like all the flashy uniforms like the Maryland helmets and the Ohio State gray uniforms and Michigan State's big-ass state on their on – their t- I just – that stuff's not for me. I get it. That's the, the things that the kids like these days. But for, for number four, I have Ohio State home uniforms. Like I said, none of these are really that sweet overall. And I don't think Ohio State's is really that sweet. I just think that it's too iconic really to not have on this list. Number three is Purdue's home uniforms. I think the all black uniforms are sweet and no matter what helmet combo they go with too I, I like the gold and I like the black I just think that that's a really sweet look number two I have Michigan home uniforms you know same same combo as Illinois really with maize pants blue jersey and probably the most well known football helmet in, in all of football I would say and then number one I have the Penn State away uniforms I love the all-white look. I just think that is sweet looking and it seems like, for, for some reason the game that sticks out to me is when they go to Iowa and I just feel like that, that all-white uniform just really, really sticks out and I, I just think it's a sweet look and that's why I have them at my number one spot.
0: I will say this right before I do throw it to Hayden, that was kind of the old man take and that's kind of what we are because we're Big Ten fans. You talk about tradition and quote-unquote boring, I'm right there with you, Casey. You're going to see, I think, a little bit similar of a list on my end. I did think that Ohio State was a little low, but I'm not putting him on my list because I'm a Buckeye fan and I'm broken, and I'm going to put him at one otherwise. So I left him off, but he's throwing Ohio State glass up there. I know that you're secretly whatever. You're a Buckeye and all that, but you're not fooling anyone, Casey. But Hayden, comments on Casey's first, and then give us your 5-1 to breakdown as well.
1: I don't really have, it, it's hard to kind of critique these. It's all your personal preference. You know what I mean? It's kind of tough to critique. One thing that I think you'll notice about my list is I have two like alternate jerseys just because I am a kind of a fan of those. And if they, if schools do them right, I think they have a really nice touch. So, and my number one is might be a little bit of a different one. And, and I'm not, when I get to number one, I'll explain why, but I just really love a certain alternate jersey, so you'll guys find that out, number one. Number five, I have a 2015 Nebraska. They call it the Husker Bold. It was a black jersey, and it's hard to explain because obviously you don't have the visuals, but if you're at home, uh, go ahead and you can just literally just Google it. It's black jersey, red numbers with a black helmet and then a red stripe down the middle. I think those are really slick. Typically, I am a fan of all-black jerseys. I will say I Ohio State's all-black did not make my list, so surprise, they're not that, that was not on my list. They weren't that great. But Nebraska, I think, did a really, really good job when they did their, their black jerseys. My number four, and I think this is the exact same spot Casey had them, the Ohio State traditional, just their scarlet home jerseys, I think they have to be on the list somewhere. And I'm not going to put them, I can't put them at one. I can't really put them at two or three because I really like, especially my top three, I think is really good. But the traditional home Ohio State ones are good. They have, I think they have to be on the list. My number three is the Penn State white ones. And like Casey said, the tra- the, just the tradition, I think those are really, it's so simple, but they're so just easy to look at, I guess. I, I don't know how to explain it. They're just really nice, really simple. They look really good. Two, I have Michigan's home jersey. So the, mix, let me make sure I say this right. The blue tops with the maize pants. Iconic. That's a Big Ten. If you think of Big Ten football, that jersey is probably in your mix. And then my number one, and this might surprise some people because, It's not really thought of as that great of a jersey, but I have a really fond memory of Ohio State beating Michigan on a two-point conversion play, and that has stuck out in my head literally forever, and the jerseys that Ohio State wore for that game were fantastic, and they had the chrome helmet with the huge, they were like the bigger Buckeye leaves on it. I am a huge fan of those. I I wish they would bring those back more. First of all, that game was crazy. And I think that helps stick in my memory of the jerseys. And I I just really think those are sharp-looking jerseys. So that's my number one. Kind of weird, but I do have to throw in some alternate jerseys. So I wanted that to be a little unique. So I got a question for you guys.
2: As Ohio State fans, obviously Hayden just said that he liked the 2013 uniforms. Do you like it when Ohio State does something different for the Michigan game? Because personally, I, I don't like it. I like it when the two iconic uniforms are fashion heads on that Saturday. I just wanted to see what you guys thought
1: as Buckeye fans. I'll go first just because my answer obvious, just because you just heard my list. As long as it's not like overwhelming, I think having an alternate jersey is perfectly fine. And I really like different touches that they can do. Now, if they wore something really, really crazy that's totally like not on brand yeah I think it'd be a problem but especially the 2013 ones it was still recognizable. you know what I mean you could recognize that it was still Ohio State it wasn't so far like offbeat that it wasn't crazy to me I actually I I think Wally is probably an old man and he hates the alternate jerseys for rivalry games but well I want to hear his thoughts
0: So, yeah, a little bit on brand. I do like all the old school stuff. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I don't. I will say this. I have come to the point where I understand. Casey kind of mentioned it earlier that this is what the kids like. So I'm able to step back and realize, you know, I guess you can use this, even if it's a minimal difference. You try to use it as a recruiting tool. Ohio State, Michigan's one of the highest televised games every single year. I guess the point of it is you try to show off a little bit for that big game would I prefer the natural uniforms be there every time probably yeah I will say you mentioned that you don't like it when they're over the top and I agree with that because you have the years out there I think like 2010 I want to say it was a Troll prior where it was scarlet on scarlet and if the lid is not gray it kind of throws me through a loop because I mean the gunmetal silver gray whatever you want to call it for that 16 game was about as far as I'll push it now this is kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth But I loved the uniforms they wore. I want to say the year before that, in like 08 or 09, where it was white jerseys, white helmets with the dark gray pants. I thought that was a really sharp look. But anyways, a couple quick questions about your list, Hayden, before we get to it. When you talk about the Nebraska Husker Bold, those aren't by chance the jerseys you're talking about where they had a giant N on the front. And Wisconsin had a giant W, right? Because that was god-awful.
1: No, the the ones that I'm looking at are just black and then the numbers are right on the front of their jersey and the numbers are red and it's kind of outlined in white and then their helmet's black with a with a red stripe down the middle and a, a red face mask no it doesn't have any sort of like i know what you're talking about like the wisconsin w or no it does not have the big n
0: on it it's, it's a number on the front okay that makes me feel a little better because those were really hard to watch back then and i think both sides were even like This is brutal, similar to what Casey said with the Michigan State, with that lime green state across the front. It's like a created jersey on Madden gone horribly, horribly wrong. Now I'll get into my top five. One other thing real quick on yours, Hayden. Those 13 Buckeye jerseys, didn't they have white pants with that as well? With the chrome helmet opposed to the silver that we're used to seeing, or gray, I guess you would, if you're getting specific. The
1: jerseys that I am talking about, they were white pants. So not gray pants, they were white pants, and they had a, like a, kind of like a, a scarlet stripe down the side of the leg, and it was like outlined by, it might have been gray, I can't really remember. But the thing that sticks out the most that I really like is the chrome helmet with the big leaves. I really, really like those. I thought Carlos Hyde and those in that helmet looked phenomenal, and they will forever be in my top five list.
0: Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. I just wanted to make sure I was thinking of the same ones. That was a a good uniform. There were quite a few in there I liked. But anyways, I'll get to my list without uh, dilly-dallying any further. Real quick, just wanted to say honorable mention because I didn't know Casey was going to say what he said. Illinois, I love the matte orange helmets. I think they're pretty cool. You hear me talk about that. It feels like every week the matte look, it's a sharp look. And if you're not going to play good, you might as well at least look all right. So I had them at my honorable mention. So I'll get right into it. Purdue's Blacks. Casey Adam on his. I have mine a little lower. I love the black and gold combo. I think it's about, honestly, it's just a sharp look. I love, I feel like a little kid. I love the train tracks as the stripe on the helmet. I think that's just really clever when you consider their nickname and what their school is actually about on engineering. It's a smart person school. So it's pretty cool that they added that little element in for the student fan base and what they identify as as well. Now I'll go to four. I had Michigan State's not their traditional... And it was an alternate, but not the ones that Casey and I were talking about. I don't know if you guys remember. They had one, I think, in Connor Cook at the end of his tenure. It was like a bronze helmet with a green Spartan on the side. And it was like a darker look. It was very dark green and bronze. It was something we don't see out of Michigan State all the time without it being painful to look at like the later alternates have turned into for them. So for me, I thought it was a really smart idea at the time. Now, all of a sudden, everybody has like eight alternates, and they really haven't gone back to that. But that's my only alternate I have on this list. Now, my three, I have Nebraska's Whites because it, I love—I don't know what it is. I know they're similar to Wisconsin, Rutgers, Indiana, color-wise, and all that. But it's something about the iconic helmet for them as well. Just the simple N on the side of the helmet— White tops with the bright red pants. I've always just You just think of the old school, not really Big Ten, but you think of old school Nebraska. You think of the teams that are going 11-1, 10-2 every year that are fighting for Big 12 titles. So I always have really enjoyed those. Then two, no surprise, I'm a boring old man. You guys had them in yours top as well. I just put Penn State in general. I know that's a little bit cheating. Whites are better than the blues. But even the blues, it's a sharp look. It's a really good look. I'm really happy that when Franklin came back, he did away with the Bill O'Brien change of the name on the back of the jersey. It's just something about that Penn State program. It feels like it's a jersey cemented in time, and they're not going to change anytime soon. And he talked about Iowa being a fun kind of eye-popping adventure for those uniforms. I always think about teams like Northwestern, where you're playing on the grass, and at the end of a 4 o'clock game over in Northwestern, you've got Penn State's just... All their players are just covered in grass stains, covered in mud. It just feels like a Big Ten football feel to it when you look at these uniforms. So I've always loved that. I love the classic feel of it, the simplicity. It's perfect. Minimalistic to a T. Now my number one, remember I I decided not to put Ohio State on mine. Taking bias out, Michigan's got to me, it's just a, a cool look. I love the history. It's a staple in college football. When you think of iconic helmets, You think of iconic uniforms, Michigan's got them. And then you have the also cool fact that the uniform helmet came into be, what, 70, 80 years ago because they were trying to identify their wide receivers downfield. So the wind helmet was their way of doing that. And that's just, it's a cool piece of history on top of what is a great look. Now, I want to ask Casey just because he is the former Michigan fan here. Can you explain to me why when Harbaugh came, they started going away from the maize pants on the road? Because now it's white on white, and I really missed the maize pants look with the white. I don't know why they did that.
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure why they did that either. I'm not sure if it was an Adidas idea or, or what, but I remember the first game Harbaugh rolled those out there at Utah on a Thursday night. It just looked weird. It felt weird. That whole game was just weird. New uniforms on the road at a place you never play Thursday night, just weird game. Rudock three three picks that game. I'm getting off track anyway. Yeah, no, I I wasn't a fan of the all white. I like the I like the maze with the block M on the left hip. Is it? Yeah, they need to bring those pants back to the home uniforms too because they didn't have the block M on them for a long time. But yeah, I mean, were they the worst uniforms I've ever seen? No, but. I agree with you. I, I like the, the Mays look better.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things for me where they go from arguably the best home uniforms in football, or in football in general, I guess, to just a middle of the pack to me with the white on white. It's just not their look. It's just a meh kind of uniform. So it's kind of frustrating because they have such an iconic look that they choose to do that. Plus, when you see the maize pants, you think of the Lloyd Carr, you think of Michigan being Michigan. And now, all my memories when I see the white pants, I just think eight and four, nine, and three, and Michigan just hasn't done it, so I don't know, hopefully, for their sake, they do go back. obviously, Casey wants that too. I have to imagine that's gotta be a pretty popular opinion for Michigan fans as well, right?
2: Yeah, I'm not a Michigan fan, but i I do know that that is something that they want back, but just to expand on your point there. That just sums up Michigan football, though. It doesn't translate at all. It doesn't correlate at all. But like Michigan's home uniforms are sweet and they look really, really clean and they are usually really good at home and they are very meh on the road. I mean, I know it doesn't mean anything. It's not. It might be a mental thing, but yeah, it's just funny that you mentioned that.
0: Yeah, and I know we're a football-basketball kind of podcast, so I'm not going to go too sidetracked here, but it is definitely mental. Like the Penguins today, I'm a big NHL fan, they announced that for their home games in the postseason this year, they're wearing their gold alternates, and they're an eyesore, and I hate it so much. They were 18-1-1 in their home uniforms this year and cannot seem to find a goal in the gold. It doesn't actually translate to the ice, but it's in your head. You're just like, we cannot win. In these gold, they call them gold, they're yellow, like helmets, yellow. They look like a thing of mustard. It bothers me. That's not who we are. But we're getting sidetracked. And anyways, if you guys figure out a name for that segment, we're still trying to think of one. Please let us know because, again, we're not the most creative people in the world. But now let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show, what we're actually here to talk about. And real quick, before we jump into it, I just want to say I know that the three of us were kind of talking off air. We were very Ohio State heavy. the last couple, that's not what we want the identity of the show to be. It's a Big Ten football and basketball podcast. Naturally, we're going to talk about Ohio State quite a bit because they are one of the top teams in both basketball and football. But we're not going to focus all of our energy into that every single time. And you're going to see that today. We're going to start with the Buckeye talk. But quickly, we're going to get into your other teams here. And again, you want us to talk about something particular? Feel free to let us know. What we are going to talk about, last week we spent... At nauseum time talking about Henry 2020 and the potential of him transferring to Ohio State. That ultimately did not come to be as he transferred to Alabama this last week. Ohio State now, since that has happened, they've reached back out, get a load of this pronunciation. I did my homework for you guys. Paul EA Naute Ote. Paul EA Naute from USC, he's looking out there to transfer. It looked like a done deal to Texas. Ohio State calls. All of a sudden, he puts that little bit of a decision on hold. Doesn't seem like he probably will be a Buckeye, but the fact that you're able to get him entertained, it's something to be a little excited about. Now I want to go to you two. What do you guys think of everything that's happened in the last week, whether that be 2020 leaving or now Teote potentially going to Ohio State? What do you guys think? I'll let whoever wants to jump in first take it.
1: My first thought is those are some incredible names. There's no way that I'm even going to try to pronounce either one of them because I'll, I will butcher it. We talked a lot last week about, here I go, Henry. We'll go with Henry in <laughs> a possible transfer to Ohio State. And, yeah, it would be great to add that, add that depth. But we kind of mentioned last week how this set of linebackers coming in for Ohio State I think is going to be, more athletic, faster than what we had in the past. So, yes, it is unfortunate that he's going to Alabama. But I don't think Ohio, Ohio State's not going to be in trouble. It's not going to make the difference between winning the Big Ten or not. Now, I honestly, I would be surprised if now teote is that how you pronounce it, Wally? I think that's how you pronounced it, came to Ohio State. I know the Ohio State was involved with his recruitment when he was in high school. I just... Think that would be kind of a little bit of a reach, and I think they should probably roll with the guys that they have that have matured in their program and roll with those guys. So we'll throw it over to Casey. I'm I think Casey and I are gonna have a similar view of the situation.
0: Yeah, real quick before you throw it over to Casey, I just wasn't he in school at Bishop Gorman at the same time as Tate Martell. Is that why they decided to recruit him a little bit there? This is again, I'm not the recruiting guy. I just know Bishop Gorman. Everyone knows Bishop Gorman. I didn't know if he was there at the same time. And honestly, if Casey, you have the answer, feel free to answer it and just carry on with what Hayden just asked you.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right there, Wally. I think it was that Bishop Gorman. But I'm kind of starting to be a little concerned. I know I said last week thought that they would be all right, but I'm getting concerned because they, you know, they miss out on two hundred two. They miss out on him and then boom, they're right back there. And so my thinking behind being concerned is that they know what they have there. And if they are in need of a a guy that could step in right away and play, especially in, I mean, shoot, the college football season's here in four months, less than four months, I believe. That's kind of concerning to me, but based off of the recruiting rankings and the athleticism that We think that the linebackers have there. I think they'll be all right. Like Hayden said, I don't think it's going to be a difference in whether or not they win the Big Ten. But like I said last week, what is the expectation of Ohio State football? Because they win the Big Ten with teams that really weren't a top four, top five team. They get beat 31 to nothing in the playoffs. And, you know, so I I don't know. We can we could talk about that all day. But. My concern level is starting to grow a little bit here.
0: I'm glad you come to the right side, Casey. It took you a week, but welcome. Welcome aboard. I will say this. This is a just a unit. It should have, on paper, at least a solid linebacking core, but that's very thin. You're assuming that everyone just magically stays healthy, which doesn't happen in college football. Even if you're playing, you're banged up. And you're right. The expectation needs to be you win the Big Ten championship because this is a team roster that should win the Big Ten championship. And I think that if you don't, it is a failure. So the question then turns is, is the expectation is a national championship or being able to compete in the college football playoff. We saw what happened this year against Bama when you don't have the speed, you don't have that depth on defense to be able to play with some of these teams. And a few years ago, you would have these LSU teams or Bama teams where it would be, this is a a once-of-a-generation talent. This is a a once-of-a-generation team. And I think we're getting to the day and age now because of how good these top schools are recruiting. They're happening every year. You need to be that team now if you're expecting to win a national championship. In the way, it is currently constructed. I have my concerns about the slime backing group. I'm hoping come October, November, we can start saying, you know what? They've made a lot of steps. It's something that we can at least build on and be excited for. I just don't know. I I expressed my concerns last week in case you said it. We can talk all day. We've proven that, that we can talk all day about the Ohio State Buckeyes and this football team. But, hey, I'll let you get the final word, and then we are going to change gears a little bit and change it up. We're not going to only be talking Scarlet and Gray today.
1: I'm a bit more bullish on the linebacker room than I guess both of you are. A lot of that has to do with recruiting. And these guys who are supposed to be stepping up the play were decently highly rated guys, and it's their turn. So I guess if they're not done, then or if they're not ready, then yeah, that's going to be a problem. But I have to imagine that after two or three years of sitting, most of these guys are ready to go. My final thought, that's it.
0: From Henry To'o transferring to Alabama to Ronald Williams transferring from Alabama, he's now a Michigan State Spartan, The 6'2", cornerback, four-star, Juco transfer to Alabama this past year, he was a little banged up. He never really got his footing there. He only recorded one tackle all last season, only played in three games. We've seen Mel Tucker kind of really put an emphasis on the transfer portal for Michigan State to try to get back to relevance, a conversation we can have another day, but Evidently, those last few years of Mark D'Antonio, it just didn't work. They did not get the talent they needed in there. They did not develop the talent they needed in. So now Mel Tucker has that challenge of basically rebuilding Michigan State's program. With the way Transfer Portal is today, I guess I want to hear, whichever again wants to jump in first, what we think of his basically attack on Transfer portals? We're talking 15 players this year that are going to be scholarship guys that are coming in newly under the new transfer rules. What are we thinking of Ronald Williams? And what are we thinking about this Michigan State team?
2: For Ronald Williams to start, anytime you can land a dude that had a scholarship offer and went to Alabama, I, I think that's a big deal, especially to go to Michigan State. You know, he's a big cornerback. Like he's he's the type of cornerback that you look for nowadays, six two, what was it? About one ninety, I believe. The first thing that came to my mind is why do you leave Alabama? I get it he got hurt, but You look at his pass, he was at a JUCO. I have no idea about this kid, and I don't know if there are character concerns, but to transfer three times essentially now kind of raises a red flag for me, but I I truly don't know his abilities on the field. As far as Mel Tucker hitting the transfer portal really hard, I think that Michigan State looked really, really, really bad at points last year pretty sure that they've taken a hit themselves in the transfer portal pretty sure that they've lost a good chunk of guys too so I think he's just looking for guys to to fill in and come in and play right away so he doesn't have to throw out freshmen and, and young guys so unfortunately I think that's the way the trend is going nowadays too is reaching in the portal because there's no repercussion for going into the portal anymore and, and going to a different school did they pass that one year transfer rule? When's that in effect?
0: I think this year. I'm pretty sure that all these guys are immediately eligible.
2: Okay, yeah, and then even before that, honestly, it seemed like if you were going to a big school, you could get a waiver, right? You know, it didn't. My golly, like <laughs> some of some of these people should not have been. Well, there was no way that they should have gotten the waiver. But
1: anyway, I digress. Hayden, I'm interested to see what you think about this. So I'm actually just going to push back a little bit. You said it was I think you used the word unfortunately about the transfer portal and the eligibility that's surrounding it, you know, being able to be eligible right away. And to me, I don't think it's a I don't really think it's a bad thing. For some guys, it just doesn't work out where you picked out of high school. And I think giving them an avenue to be able to go somewhere who Maybe it's a little bit of a smaller school or a step down in competition, or whatever the case may be. But giving them an avenue to potentially have playing time and you know continue their get their degree, I think is great. So I don't think it's necessarily unfortunate, like you said. I I think it is what it is, and it's I I think it's to be determined. Even though we've seen high profile transfers help big schools, but I think it's to be determined how. Some of the schools like a Michigan State, you know, they've added six defensive backs on the transfer portal this this offseason. How that can impact their depth and hopefully for them produce a better back end that can that can help them. I don't know if they're going to win eight, eight games, six games, whatever, but maybe it helps them win an extra game, which for them, that's great. Mel Tucker's in a rebuilding job. I don't think... The eligibility thing surrounding the transfers is a huge deal. I'm kind of curious. While he's he's been looking at me, I want to know what he he thinks about this.
0: Do you want to jump in, Casey? I know that you were kind of on the other end before I jump. You good? I just want to know
2: your guys' opinion on what you think that does for the culture of a program, bringing guys in who are at two different places and then comes in and starts right away where he might be taking the spot of a guy that you know, grinded for three years, stuck it out, and then just, boom, here comes this Alabama transfer starting. Like, to me, that's, that's the – I'm right there with you, Hayden. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and I get it. They should be allowed – I guess they should be allowed to go to school wherever they want and play. I get that. But I look at it from the perspective of a guy that grinded for three years and then this transfer comes in and beats him out, and he's stuck with nothing basically. But I'm, I just wanted to know your guys' opinion on how it affects the culture. And not to mention a culture at Michigan State, which has been shit lately.
1: Yeah, that was kind of my next point because it, it depends on where we're going. So, you know, we're talking Big Ten. You get guys transferring to Ohio State. That The culture at Ohio State, I, I think, is by far the best in the Big Ten. I don't think a transfer is going to impact them. Now, a program like Michigan State where you know they're not as competitive or they haven't been as competitive and you might have guys transferring out yeah that could that could have a an impact so like you know Casey said the guy that's grinded for three years and and you know this might be his year to start and let's you know a guy comes in transfers takes the spot well yes that's unfortunate we had this talk last week with Ohio State in their linebacking unit and we've already talked about that so I'm not going to go into it but we had that situation last week but the good thing is if this guy is good enough to play somewhere who gets his spot taken he can then transfer and go somewhere else and play right away so yes that's unfortunate that that guy stuck it out in the program for three years and I'm sure worked very hard to get to where he wanted to be but he can transfer and he can find a place that fits for him who if he's going to transfer from somewhere. Hopefully he goes somewhere that he can play right away. Yes, there's going to be some issues and kinks that need to be worked out. But overall, I think I think it has a net positive on impact on the
0: game. I guess for me, it would be more of an issue if this was isolated to a few programs. But what we're seeing now is this is a trickled through not only FBS, but this is throughout all schools now where you obviously have, I guess I'm going to spin zone this into a positive just to be the other side of this. This also kind of holds coaching staffs accountable too to make sure that everybody on their roster feels like they're a part of the team, feels like they are going to have some sort of impact on the program, whether that be as an immediate starter or whether it be down the road. I think that it's going to basically be a new challenge for these coaching staffs And not necessarily a bad thing. I think that you're going to see the good programs, the teams with good cultures are going to survive this. The coaching staffs that might not treat players the right way, that might take things for granted, that's the ones that are going to really see a negative come out of this. If a coach is able to leave at the end of a year for any job, it's fair for the players to also have that avenue of knowing, hey, if I have, I'm a freshman, the guy that recruited me, He went, he bolted for another place. You know what? Maybe I don't want to stay here. Maybe I'm going to go to that second school that recruited me back in high school. Maybe to a new place that I didn't realize what I wanted before is something I want now. So I guess for me, it's not a major negative. I would probably say it is a net positive. It's just going to take some time to get used to because this is so unusual and so different for everybody.
1: Going along with getting used to it and fixing the kinks, I have a question that I think is more for... Casey, just because him and I are more involved in the recruiting. And, well, you can answer this too. I'm not trying to keep you out of the conversation. But with this transfer rule, what is stopping a team like Alabama with Nick Saban recruiting 30 guys a year for four straight years, being way over the scholarship limit, and just stacking talent on talent on talent, and just saying, hey, guys that are in their second year who probably aren't going to play? or aren't developed as much as they are from just transferring. I think that is an issue that might have to, I, and I don't know how to solve it because I don't. you can't really put a cap on how many kids you're signing. But if Nick Saban's going to take 30 guys in a class and then he's going to let go of 10 guys a year that don't necessarily aren't developed as much as he wants, I think that could have a negative impact on Alabama's already loaded. I think that could make it even harder for everybody else to catch up, is kinda of what I'm getting at. Saban's gotta retire soon, right? He's got to, right. <laughs> I um, hope so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I I never really thought of it like that, to be honest with you, and that would not surprise me at all. But to look at it, you know, kinda in the way that you were looking at it before. Those kids that he kind of says, hey, you know what, you're not going to play us, get out of here. They had a year or two or three, whatever the case is, to be at the best program in the nation and go out and then go to a, God, a Texas A&M or a Ohio State, Oregon. But something.
1: So, yeah, you're right. But I guess my question is more, is that going to have the opposite impact of what we think in terms of Yes, it's great that those guys can just go somewhere else, you know, AM, and somewhere good, you know, and play. But is that going to make the gap just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger every single year until we fig- until the NCAA figures out something? I, I, it, for lack of better words, just stop it. Like, I, I just don't know. Yeah, it very well could. Obviously,
2: in the case of Henry 2020, He isn't motivated by taking down the big dog. And I think that a lot of guys nowadays, too, recognize that I can go to Alabama and I can develop for two years, play one year, and boom, go to the NFL top 30 pick. I think that's more of the concern. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. I appreciate the way Nick Saban recruits. He's got his profile, what he wants. He goes and gets and usually doesn't miss. But as far as stacking up the talent... Whether they do it, you know, that way or, you know, the regular way that they have been doing it, I think it's just going to continue. And, uh, you know, you guys know Ohio State's on Alabama's level as far as recruiting wise and numbers for the most part. They've had a down year where Alabama hasn't every once in a while. But to I, I really I really just don't know, man. Like, I understand what you're saying. Is the gap between Alabama and the rest of the country going to widen? It very well could, because had it not been for a Joe Burrow year and an outstanding Clemson team, a uh, Tua injury along with the Joe Burrow year, you know what, they probably are, what, four in a row right now? Because Tua won is his freshman year, I think. But anyway, getting sidetracked again.
1: It's a really... That's a tough hypothetical question. But the thing is, it's not really hypothetical anymore. It's like, it, it could happen, which is really the scary part for the rest of college football Wally do you have any thoughts concerns about any anything that we just talked about
0: yeah a couple things just real quick for one this could potentially give Alabama a little bit more of an edge but I will say this Casey brings it up Saban's like 70 years old how much longer could this guy really go on we have to all hope as a country outside of Alabama that he's got three to five years left because I think that's Reasonable time frame to think, right?
1: Dude's a machine. He, he might live forever. <laughs> I, I, nothing will surprise me with that guy. Yeah, I'm just looking back through
2: the past, I think, about five years now of the recruiting. And is Alabama already doing that? Because, my God, dude, I mean, I judge recruiting, you know, the big dogs in recruiting are Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, I would say. Clemson's getting up there now. But Alabama's lowest finish in the 247 ranking since 2016 is number five. Like they've been one or two every year since then. I'm going to continue to go back and see goddamn number one in 2015. But that's where I think the gap is. Like Ohio State is right up there, but a down year for Ohio State, they're at number seven in 2015. Alabama's at one with two less recruits. And I think the other down year was what, 2019 for Ohio State? Yeah. 2019, they were 14th in the country, whereas Alabama was number one with 27 commits, 35 start. So I, that's a great point. Hayden, I never really thought of that before. Like Alabama might be doing it right now. They have massive classes all the time, they have high, high ranked
1: kids. That was a great point. And I, I know we've gotten way kind of into the weeds. We're not really talking about Michigan State anymore, which is unfortunate. My last thing I'll say is, and that's one of the critiques, and it's not, I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's up to the person's opinion, I guess. That's one of the critiques of Nick Saban and recruiting is they seem to basically process kids where at the point, if they bring in so many guys each class and certain guys aren't cutting it, they're getting rid of them, which it is what it is. Now they can go play somewhere, I guess. But I think Wally needs to steer our shit back on track a little bit and get us back Focused on what we're supposed to be. We go we go off on tangents here a little bit.
0: Yeah, we will kind of switch gears. But before we do, last thing I'll say is that if you're going to be a recruit that wants to win a national championship, there are maybe five, six schools that can pitch that and you believe there's an outside shot of it happening right now. So schools like Michigan State and Mel Tucker, they're going to utilize the new transfer rules. This is what they view as their best opportunity to become relevant again is take the guys like Ronald Williams that Alabama might have given up on or Alabama might have said you know what we appreciate it but it's time to move on so look out for that I think Mel Tucker made it clear in his statements this last week that this is a goal for them going forward and it won't just be for them but we will switch gears now let's go over to the other team up in Michigan the University of Michigan they hired Kentucky's Steve Clinkscale as their pass game coordinator and defensive defensive back coach. I'd read as defensive coordinator, and I don't know why I did that. The real question here is, Lindquist was here for, what, four months before taking the Buffalo job? How much, of, I guess, of a loss is that? Because when you're only there four months, it's not like you really get to put your stamp really on a program to that extent. But this, to me, just looking at it from the outside, Clinkscale has proven in the last 5 years in Kentucky that he can elevate a defensive backfield and especially in a conference like the SEC. This is a huge get for Michigan. I would be fired up. If anything, it sounds like Harbaugh's been trying to get this guy for quite some time and he was finally able to bring him on up. This is a great move for Michigan. I'd be fired up for for Michigan fans out there because this is a, a if their goal is to eventually get to that Ohio State level or at least be able to compete with Ohio State they need more speed. They need more aggressiveness in that defensive backfield. And it looks like he's going to be the kind of guy that's able to bring it. Casey, okay, so we're going to go to you first. As the former Michigan fan here, what was your main takeaways, not only on the linguist leaving, but then, of course, on the clink scale hiring as defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator?
2: Yeah, so when Moe left at first, or when the rumors started happening, I was like, what in the heck? Why would he do that? You just, I I mean, a defensive coordinator at a school like Michigan or any big school, like that's just uh, that might be a one or two year stop, and then you're off to like a Iowa State or uh, you know a a lower tier Power Five school. Typically, like DJ put some
1: respect on Iowa State; they're a top ten team this year. Okay, but traditionally
2: a lower Power Five school. But like DJ Durkin, for example, he had a great year at Michigan. He really turned, helped turn that program around in 2015. Boom, off to Maryland. Great job. So the, the move to Buffalo was eye-opening to me. I, I don't know if he got to Michigan for four months and was like, this shit isn't going anywhere good. I'm out. And on you know, another level to that, I understand wanting to be the guy. Like you have no one to answer to in the football program. You're the guy. So I can't blame the guy for that. But as far as a Steve Klinkscale goes, yeah, I mean Wally, you said it, he developed pretty good defensive backs at Kentucky. I believe he had a first round pick this year or first or second round pick this year. He's recruited for Kentucky at a great level at Kentucky. As a matter of fact, he stole two big-time recruits from the state of Michigan, got them to go to Kentucky at two positions that Michigan desperately needed. I believe one was an offensive guard and one was a defensive tackle. Out of Oak Park, too. I, I don't know how he's able to do that, but hopefully he can bring that success in recruiting to Michigan because you got to f- think that it's going to be a little bit easier to recruit to Michigan. But anyway, yeah, we'll see.
0: He first of all, Jamin Davis was the player talked about. He was a linebacker, though, so that wasn't a direct correlation to him. But that's not a bad thing. You could make a case that there was even less talent in that backfield. But yeah, you mentioned he's a great recruiter. I mean, this is a guy that individual coaches ranking he was 13th in the sec last year at kentucky that's incredible and michigan could obviously use a guy like that you get fired up to have that this is you were talking about the talent in the backfield not necessarily being on par with the other big dogs in the sec and guess what he was still able to do this was the top sec pass defense in the last two years giving up less than 225 in both in a full season two years ago, it was close to 175 yards given up a game. They've balled out with him in Kentucky. I'd be fired up if I am a Michigan fan right now. Casey, you've probably you got to correct me. I, I probably screwed up on the Jamin Davis. Go ahead.
2: Nope, you are absolutely correct. He was a first-round pick. The guy I was thinking of was Kelvin Joseph, who went to the Cowboys in the second round. So I messed up, While you're right.
0: I'm just going to cut the rest of the episode, and it's just going to be that. I'm just going to upload that little soundbite. But yeah, Hayden, I guess we'll turn it over to you. Episode's really over now. But let's hear what you have to say about, I guess, this new Michigan get. And do you think it's as big of a deal as, I guess, Casey and I think so far?
1: Yeah, I have two main things I want to say. And the first one is, yeah, I I do think it's a big get because this dude is from Ohio, and I'm not saying he's going to be able to come in and recruit Ohio right away because that's going to take time. I mean, Ohio State basically locks down the borders of whatever top in-state talent that they want. But if he can make some inroads, that will be very interesting. And obviously that's going to make Michigan better. The second thing, I'm reading our little clip here. I'm confused. He is the pass game coordinator and the DB coach? Like the pass game defensive coordinator? court like i'm yeah, confused okay. I, I, I don't okay i was reading that as like he was the past game coordinator on offense and the, the db coach and i was like what in the hell are-? first of all that sounds horrible i don't know what the hell they're doing but okay that makes a lot more sense now
2: yeah that's a, that's a bullshit way to get a salary to increase
1: yeah i mean hey whatever gets that whatever gets you more money man uh, go for it but yeah if he can make inroads in ohio that is a significant hire and time will tell. I mean, it's not going to happen year one, maybe not year two, but if he can, depending on how long is there, year three, year four, he, if he can pull some guys out of Ohio, that, that is
2: significant. Do we think that that's Michigan's biggest issue right now, is that since Harbaugh got there, they don't recruit Ohio as well? Because, I mean, shoot, guys, we've seen the past two years – the games haven't really even been close. The recruiting rankings have been close, but Michigan's expanded a lot, mainly to New Jersey, down to Florida a little bit, and they're not getting any guys in Ohio. And they've had fantastic guys from Ohio. Like, I don't know how in the hell they've, you know, stole a Charles Woodson or Desmond Howard from Ohio State, but I'm interested to know what you guys think about that.
1: I have very, very, very strong feelings on this topic, and my answer is 100% yes. I think that is the biggest issue right now with Michigan's recruiting philosophy is that they're not attacking, either they're not attacking or they just plain gave up on recruiting Ohio, especially during the Urban Meyer era. The er- Urban Meyer era, let me, let me talk here. If that's why, and this is kind of off topic here, But if they ever wanted to replace or ever will replace Jim Harbaugh, I will go to my grave dying saying that Luke Fickle would, and I know that's like way, like, I don't even know if he'd be, if I were him, I'd be interested. I don't know if he would be interested in that job, but he definitely could recruit Ohio. And to me, that's the biggest issue. So my answer is 100% yes.
0: Well, and the idea of Luke Fickle, it's almost like the, go back 40, 50 years. It's the Bo Schembechler feeling. You go in and you get a Buckeye. You turn him into a turncoat. And what did Bo do? Bo established what turned into being, I mean, Ohio was his hotbed. His best players came from Ohio. I know he even mentioned like the Charles Woodson guys like that. But the guys that we don't even mention, guys like Chris Spielman, if it wasn't for Chris Spielman's father, Chris Spielman would have been a Michigan Wolverine. This is a, a thing that's been going on for 50 years. Michigan loves to go into Ohio and get these guys, and the fact that they have been disappointing in that regard in the last five years or so, I think does tell a lot, and I do think that it is a, a, a goal for them to eventually get better again because why not? Ohio is one of the best high school football states in the country. If you can get inroads in there, that's a big game changer, especially for a school like Michigan where, no disrespect to Michigan high school football, The talent's not quite as good up there. You need to go elsewhere and get it. And why not go to your neighbor in the South? Partly, basically make that rivalry the rivalry for you guys again. And all of a sudden, I think that that could be a positive change going forward.
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you guys. You know, getting in Ohio is a big step that Michigan needs to take again. I mean, not even getting the top guys, but getting top 15 guys in Ohio means that that guy's probably a top 500 recruit. Whereas, you know, currently Michigan is going to New Jersey and Pennsylvania and getting a guy that's ranked 1,000, not ranked, or 800th, and I, I agree with Wally. Ohio is one of the top, shoot, off the top of my head, I would say seven high school football states. It's unbelievable that they've just kind of completely ignored recruiting in Ohio in the past six years. Um but moving on, Wally, what do we got next, man?
0: I never know if it's two four seven or twenty four seven. I always said twenty four seven, but Casey always says two four seven. So it's a choose your own adventure book. I'm going to say twenty four seven for this. Twenty four seven writer Matt Howe wrote an article this last week ranking the top ten wide receivers in the country going into this college football season. Four of them happen to be in this conference, in the Big Ten. He had Chris Olave one. He had Garrett Wilson, too. David Bell is his third-ranked Big Ten wide receiver, coming in at eight nationally. And in nine nationally, four in the Big Ten. Ty Fry Fogle, Some guys that I guess if you're an Ohio State fan like Hayden and I are, unfortunately you know, or you fortunately do know, because they're the Buckeyes. I want to go over to you guys. Do you have any thoughts on this? Any guys that you thought are too high? Guys that you thought are too low? Potentially guys that you thought were left off the list? Or potentially even just sleeper guys that won't be top 10, but you think deserve at least a little bit of recognition. Whichever one you want to go first, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I'll go first. I think Ty Freifogel is damn good. To say he's too low might be a stretch. The ninth best receiver in the country is no slouch for sure. But that dude, that dude was good. And I, I think he's going to be great again this year. David Bell had a great freshman season, and I mean, really, for six games last year, he had a great season as well. Purdue just, I mean, can they get a dude that can throw these receivers the ball? I mean, my goodness. But anyway, so if I think there's a guy that was too low, I would say Freifogel, just because the way he played in, in the big games last year. Olave and Wilson being one and two is, is kind of surprising to me, to be honest with you. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't want to get on this topic because you know, we'll talk for half an hour about it, but like if if Ohio State had Olave and Wilson are one and two this year, they couldn't have been both out of the top ten last year, right? And so did Ohio State underachieve last year with Olave and Wilson and Jackson Smith and Gigba and you know these two tight ends that they got, Luke Farrell and Rucker. You know, uh, did Ohio State underachieve offensively last year? I, I think I, okay, that's that's. I think we can all agree they underachieved last year in offense, maybe outside of the Clemson game, but like everyone was to to use good language, they were discarding Mac Jones in the draft because they're like, oh, he's throwing to Devonte Smith, he's throwing to Jalen Waddell well, okay, you know, uh, Olave and Wilson, if they're the first and second best receivers in the nation coming into next year, did Justin Fields underperform? I don't know. We're we're getting off topic. (laughs) I don't think I want you guys to answer that because we will talk for a long time about it. But, yeah, I I would say uh, Fry Fogle is a guy that I think – could be bumped up a little bit I, and I'm not knocking Olave or Wilson the one-two punch you know whoever the heck starts for Ohio State's got it made I guess but yeah I, I think David Bell's a good player too
1: and that's about all I got I'm kind of scared to pass it over to you guys though I'm not going to answer your question because I, I think you were trying to bait me into getting very very upset and I'm not going to do it but I will say though I don't know if Olave and Wilson are number one and number two. They're definitely top five, I would say. Um, I don't know if they're one and two, but I would. And it all depends on how you look at it, I guess. I think Garrett Wilson has more upside for an NFL receiver. So I would put, I would flip them. Wilson ahead of Olave. One of the sleepers, and I don't know, it must've been Wally that put him up here and it must be the Ohio State guy just for the, the fears. Jahan Dotson... I think is poised for, and it just, it depends on how, you know, Penn State didn't look very good last year, but it depends on how they look. But I think he's poised to have a pretty good year. And I'm not saying he's going to be a a top 10 guy in the whole nation, but he could definitely shoot up the list a little bit. So Wally, I I see you had some thoughts. I'm going to flip it over to you.
0: Before I go, I saw Casey wanted to get in there a second ago. Casey, go ahead and then we'll come back to me.
2: Yeah. So in reference to this list to kind of put it into perspective, I believe, let me, let me double check. Yeah, so John Mechie was ranked ten on this list. And we, I feel like, watched a good amount of John Mechie in Alabama. And I was surprised to see that he was 10, given he was the third guy and was so productive. But other, other than that, man, I, I really don't have anything else on this list. I'm not sure what they were basing this off of because like Hayden said, I think Garrett Wilson has better NFL potential. I think he can be a Jarvis Landry kind of guy. Whereas I don't really see where Olave... I don't really... Like who's Olave's comp? I'm not really sure. But I'll toss it back over to to Wally here.
0: Yeah, for the most part, I'm not going to answer your initial question either because again, we're not trying to go Ohio State for 30 minutes. The only thing I'll say on that is... If you're going to make the case that Ohio State underachieves with their top two receivers, if you're making that, you would imagine that a similar list last year would have those two Buckeyes and then those two wide receivers that were just drafted by Alabama, both in that top 6-7 range last year. It would have turned into the loser of that game underachieves. That, that would be the ultimate, I guess, argument for me is that you have two NFL offenses, and I'm not going to touch it beyond that. Yeah, so I'm not going to harp on too much about the guys we already talked about. I I will say, actually, one thing real quick about uh, Fry Fogle is right before the Penix Jr. injury last year, he had three-game stretch, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. He had 25 catches, 560 yards, and six touchdowns in that stretch. It felt like, I mean, he wasn't even necessarily the number one weapon on that Indiana offense last year at times. So, I would only say this is that after the Penix Jr. injury, he did fall off. So did that entire offense, because I can't even remember the dude's name off the top of my head. Maybe one of you guys throw it in there in a second. But after the injury, he had six catches and 79 yards and no touchdowns in the final three games, including his bowl game. So, it's that it's like the what came first, the chicken or the egg thing. It's is Penix Jr. helping out Fry Fogle? Is Fry Fogel helping out Penix Jr.? And that would be a case for Penix Jr. Now, the only thing I'll say about sleepers, yeah, you mentioned Dotson Hayden, so I won't go into him. But just to get a couple other guys that I don't think you would actually hear a lot about, at least outside of those respective fan bases right now, Bo Melton, he's a guy that because of where he plays, I think that he gets forgotten a lot. But last year, in that shortened season, he's another guy. He threw 47 catches, 638 yards. And six touchdowns with over a 13 yards per catch average. He's a guy that he could take another step this year, especially as that roster there is also getting better by the day. So I'm excited for him. And then, of course, you want to talk about Ronnie Bell. That team last year had very few bright spots. It felt like he was one of the guys that you could make a case for. Casey's shaking his head. He doesn't like that. Casey's guy is right. But he's another guy that has the upside. We've seen over the last few years Michigan wide receivers when in the right environment, they can be productive. I'm excited to see if Ronnie Bell can be a guy like that this next year that takes another step once whoever we figure out is that starting quarterback up in Michigan. Okay, so we're going to give you the final word now before we throw it into our final topic of the day because it looks like you're ready to fight someone.
2: Oh, boy. First off, I'll touch on Bo Melton. He's a good player. Is a really good player. I think that...
0: If it, Real quick before you say anything, I just want to point out, I'm not trying to make a case for these guys being top 10 wide receivers for the record. These are just very good players that are under, I guess, heralded is what I was saying. I wasn't trying to make a case for them being top 10. So if that's what it came off, I do want to clarify that before you go ahead.
2: No, and had you thought Ronnie Bell deserved to be in the top 10 of all of college football, I would have lost my freaking mind. Bo Mellon's a good player, yeah. (laughs) Ronnie Bell, oh my goodness, man. He looks like he does not belong on a football field. I think that I've seen that guy trip over himself more than any other football player I've ever seen in my life. Not to mention the what could have been best comeback in recent Michigan football history that passed Shea Patterson through to him hit him square in the freaking chest. That was Penn State twenty nineteen, where we thought Michigan finally got themselves rolling on offense. The second half against Penn State looked really good. They had a fourth down conversion, Ronnie Bell in the end zone, hit him right in the chest. Anyway, that guy is one of those guys that I just from the get-go did not like. Just his at the, I would not be surprised if he runs a 46540, you know, his shuttle is terrible, his bench press is he bench presses 225 twice. The, the dude just screams no athleticism at all. Hayden, I think that you might completely agree the comp for Ronnie Bell in my opinion is Grant Perry, and while I was a Michigan fan, I hated that guy more than any guy that I ever on Michigan. So, Ronnie Bell, I was not, am still not a fan of Ronnie Bell, to say the least.
1: Grant Perry was one of the names that I have not heard in a long time, and you sang that jogged memories that we have of you telling me, how much you did not like that guy. That that was really good. Good comp too, I think. So,
0: Well, I'm not going to continue that anymore. We had enough of that right there. We're going to go to our final topic of the day. A little bit of a change of pace. We've been talking primarily football here in the last few weeks, simply because basketball season just ended. But we are going to talk a little bit here about another 24-7 or 24-7. Again, Choose Your Own Adventure, article written by Travis Branham. It was 10 college basketball impact freshmen of the 21-22 season that we should keep our eyes for this next year. So we are going to talk a little bit of college basketball. Keep it Big Ten. There was only one person on this list that was a Big Ten freshman coming in, and that was Tamar Bates. I'm interested to hear from you guys because there are, to me, a few guys that I thought were huge snubs on this list, especially the way Big Ten's been able to recruit. Is there anybody that you felt like should have been on this list that didn't make the list? Is there some guys that even if they shouldn't be top 10 that you were like, you know what? He deserves to be mentioned because he is going to be an impact freshman.
2: Yeah. So when I was clicking on this article, I certainly thought that there was going to be three, four, maybe even five Big Ten guys on there because I I would have to go back and, and look once again. But I felt like this recruiting class for the Big Ten was outstanding. You know, when Nebraska can snag a five-star guy, you know, Michigan State did their usual thing. They got a five-star high, four-stars. And then Michigan has the number one recruiting class in the nation. Ohio State brings in a top 30 guy and Malachi Branham. I fully expected to see more Big Ten guys on here. One guy that stands out to me is Wilhelm Breidenbach. He is ranked 100th on 247. He's a 6'9 big guy from California, signed to play for Nebraska, and (laughs) I encourage you all to Google this guy. The only reason why he's on my list is because he is rocking these big goggles. He's got the goofiest looking picture, and that's why I had to give a shout out to my boy uh, Wilhelm Breidenbach. But on a serious note, the guy that I think is going to stand out out of this class to me, is Jaden Atkins. He committed to go to Michigan State. He signed to go to Michigan State. To me, it seems like when Michigan State recruits a point guard in particular, they get guys that stick around for four years, and they just kill just kill your team. You know, Cassius Winston is the first guy that comes to mind, obviously, and just graduated a few years ago. But this guy seems like he's that kind of guy for me. He's a top, I think, 60 recruit. So very talented player, but not a guy that's going to one year wonder. He's going to be around for three or four years. So that, that guy stood out to me just because I felt like he's going to be around a lot, which is uh, you know kind of rare in college basketball. Another guy that stood out to me is Caleb Houston. He's the highest recruit that Michigan ever had. I'd be interested to see, obviously, who comes back from Michigan basketball. Next year, if, if Wagner comes back, I'm not sure really where he fits in the lineup. I would say he'll probably start at the three and Wagner will start at the four. But then another guy that I had on this list was the Musa Diabate. I think I'm saying that right. The five star power forward that also signed with Michigan. You know, if you have Wagner, Houston, Diabate, and Hunter Dickinson, one, that's a big lineup, and two, I'm not sure that that's something that Jawan Howard wants to roll out there because they probably lack the quickness to, to play good defense. Although, the, oh my goodness, that would be one long lineup. That, that's for sure. But those were a few guys that stood out to me. The, the five-star kid that went to Nebraska stood out to me. I'm not sure of his name. I'm not sure if you guys are going to talk
1: uh, about him a little bit. Yeah, Wally, yeah. But, yeah, so those were a few guys that stood out to me. I have to go with my Ohio State guy just because that's, that's what I do. Malachi Branham, I think that's how you pronounce it, is a guy and of course this all depends on who's coming back for Ohio State because you have Dwayne Washington who declared for the draft, and you have EJ Liddell who declared for the draft. Now, I believe they expect both of those guys to be back. If you add Branham into this this team and he can provide 10 15 points a game. I think that makes our offense a lot better, and I was actually listening to another show in this scenario that Liddell and Washington are both back, and then you add Branham, that they said that Washington would actually be the third option on the team, and that it'd go Liddell, Branham, Washington, which I find kind of interesting that I guess their expectations, and they're around Ohio State's program you know, pretty closely that their expectations are that he would be the second option. So I think that could be – that's interesting just because that could be an, an immediate impact, which a lot of these guys would be, but an immediate impact guy.
0: So I'm going to give you guys my couple here that I really wanted to fixate on. You already touched on one case, so I'll keep it short. But Michigan's class is nasty, man. This is going to be a really good team. And we wonder every year when is it going to happen for the Big Ten again and this Michigan team on paper should have a real shot. I think their backcourt's really going to determine how far this team goes because we're talking about the talented bigs on Michigan's team coming back next year. It's going to be wrong. It's going to be disgusting, especially with how gritty and physical the Big Ten does tend to play. Having so many options at the 3, 4, and 5, and a guy like Caleb Houston, he can play any of those positions. So having that versatility and having that depth – coming off the bench or starting whatever, it's going to be huge, especially when you know how sometimes, especially once we get the March, whether it be the Big Ten tournament or whether it be March Madness tournament, the refs sometimes decide to call everything on the floor. And if you're going to start getting into foul trouble, having a few extra guys that can come off the bench and not really be a substantial drop-off, that's such a weapon. It's such a big, valuable thing to have. So I'm looking forward to seeing Michigan... I think they're going to be a lot like this year. I think you can expect that one or two seed from them again. Maybe, you know, injury, stuff like that, whatever. But as of right now, Michigan's going to be disgusting. Now, I did want to touch on, I know Casey was talking a little bit, but Bryce McGowans, he is following his brother who transferred from Pitt to go to Nebraska this last year. You get two very highly recruited Kids out of South Carolina going to Nebraska and for basketball? Tell me how often you hear that. That's something that Nebraska's got to be pretty fired up about in their own right. But to have a five-star, that this is a team that's the bottom of the Big Ten year in and year out. And who knows, with a couple years from guys like this, maybe even getting to the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, that can go huge for a program. So I'm really excited to see how Nebraska does it. How often do we get to actually be excited to watch Nebraska basketball? Because... I mean, there really isn't anything to be excited about. It's a team that wins 10 games a year. All of a sudden, again, even if they can get to that 16, 17 win window, maybe even get them in a position to make a tournament, that can go a long way for a program. So that'll be something I'm going to keep an eye on. And naturally, when you have a team like that, your freshmen, especially highly regarded like this, they have to be instant impact. So he will be to me. I think he's one of the guys that you're not going to probably know his name if you're a casual college basketball fan because of his situation, because of his school. But for people like us, people that are listening to this, keep your eye on him. He's going to be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, this kid's going to come in right away and start. you got to think he's a top 25 recruit in the nation. You're right, Wally. Some excitement in Nebraska basketball? Who, who would have thought? <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, get your own little Splash Brothers out there in Omaha. Literal brothers this time with the McGowans. So that'll be a, a fun little wrinkle you're going to hear. Every single game that you see Nebraska on Big Ten Network this year, did you guys know that these guys are brothers? They wanted to play together their whole lives. It's going to get nauseating by the end of the year.
1: Nebraska is a scary place to play, too. You you get a guard in there, play. I feel like anytime they get a a team that's, like, halfway good or even really good, they always kind of play them, like, scary close. So, you know, adding any sort of talent in there could make it even harder. got a question for you. So kind of two underrated places
2: to play that I think are tough places to play. And I would like to know your guys' opinion on which place you dread going to. Rutgers and Nebraska. Because Aiden, I completely agree. Nebraska is a weird place to play, man. Out in the middle of nowhere, they get hyped up there when they are allowed to have people there. So I'm interested to know your guys' thought on who you think is under the radar, harder place to play. Because I think Rutgers, when Rutgers is going, like they were, was it last year or was it two years ago? I I feel like it was two years ago when they had people in the stands, but that place was not an easy place to play.
1: I'm going to go with the rack, right? That's where Rutgers plays, the rack That is a horrible place to play. Well, it's a horrible experience for opposing teams, I guess, what's what. Another team that I think is scary to play at is Penn State. I think Penn State is kind of dangerous to play at too. Not on the level of Nebraska or Rutgers, but I would throw them into the mix in that situation as
0: well. Those are great places. It just goes to show that the Big Ten's just hard to go on the road and get wins because even the teams at the bottom of the list, you typically get at least a good fight. I mean, even Buckeye fans can tell you Going into Northwestern has been hell for them in the last 5-10 years. So, I mean, there, there really isn't a place you can circle on a schedule anymore with how talented and deep the Big Ten is and say, all right, Penn State, that's a win. Rutgers, that's a win. Nebraska, that's a win. Even when they're winning 10 or 11 games, it just seems they have a few of those games each year that a big boy comes into town, and it's just they get the game of their life, and it's easy to go in kind of not fully engaged as an opposing team and then all of a sudden, you're down 10 in the second half to Nebraska-Ruckers, and you can't make that up.
2: Yeah, Minnesota's another one of those teams for me, too. And just to kind of reference how good the Big Ten was this past year, Minnesota beat the hell out of Michigan and Ohio State, and they ended up winning like 11 games the rest of the year. So I'm just saying that is what separates the Big Ten more. I think the two best college basketball conferences are the Big Ten and the ACC, but I just think that the the bottom of the ACC is so much worse than the the, the bottom to middle of the Big Ten, and Minnesota is a perfect example of that.
1: Yeah, I agree, Minnesota. And mostly, and this is my last thought, and mostly because of, and this wasn't, you know, in a way this was a neutral site Big Ten tournament. That tournament game Minnesota played against Ohio State was like, a bizarre ending. Like, they... Uh, playing Minnesota at Minnesota is dangerous, but playing them even at a neutral site still is a little shaky. Like, it's... They have some weird mojo going on where they can make things really weird at the end.
0: Yeah, that was during that stretch, too, where Ohio State could have been up 55 in the final three minutes and I wouldn't have felt safe. That I mean, I think they were up 14 with two minutes left and Minnesota gets it down to one... With like seven or eight, and it took a couple clutch free throws and I think a miss to ice that game final. But it just—it's gonna be a lot of fun. This is this conference is as deep as it gets basketball wise, and you gotta imagine one of these years they're finally gonna see a team break through and cut down the nets in the final game of the college basketball season. But unless you guys have any other thoughts, I think we're gonna wrap it up tonight.
2: Yeah, unless we want to go revisit some of the topics that uh, we chose to pass on because we didn't want to talk for a half an hour on it. Uh, No,
1: sir. No, sir. No?
2: Well, then I'm good. A lot of fun tonight, fellas. Pleasure seeing you guys again.
0: Absolutely. It's a pleasure as always. That is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back next week on May 21st, where we'll have another edition of whatever this segment is. We can't figure out what the name is. This week, Casey came up with a really good idea. We're going to do best one-two punches in college football for the Big Ten since the year 2000. We used the year 2000 for the simple fact that the game has changed a lot in the last 20 years or so. All three of us are under the age of 30, so realistically, 2,000 onwards when we have our watching experience. So that's what we're going to focus on. So top one-two college football tandems, that doesn't necessarily just mean quarterback, wide receiver doesn't just mean skill positions I think it'll be a fun list so check in on that next week we love all your guys' feedback please make sure you keep the comments coming make sure you follow us on Twitter at p and n Facebook at p and n pod and Instagram also p and n pod so boys any final thoughts for everybody
1: I am heavily involved in Ohio State message boards, and I subscribe and I pay, I actually pay money to, uh, I'm a lunatic, I pay money to read what these people say, and it's not even articles, it's message message board posts, and about last night, I don't know, maybe it was 10.30, maybe 11 o'clock, I come across this forum, and it was titled, Possible... NCAA violations at Ohio State, and I looked at it, I said, oh shit, this is going to be bad. And so, I kept refreshing it all day, all day, all day. Well, Ohio State eventually did today release a statement that a massage therapist was apparently taking advantage of some Ohio State football players, and long story short, this Lady lost her license and is no is banned from the campus. So that was the big shenanigans. I was sweating bullets all night. I thought, I thought something horrible happened. Well, I mean, it, you know, it is kind of still weird. It's odd. But I thought something happened where you know, postseason ban. I instantly thought the worst. Postseason ban, recruiting, uh, scholarship limits, whatever. I I thought the worst. So anyway, I'm I feel much better now.
2: We didn't really touch on this. Not at all, but what do we think about Tyreek Johnson transferring? You know, former five-star guy at a at a position where they're not exactly loaded at. Maybe we'll save that for, for next week so that we can talk a little bit in depth about it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We'll make sure we add that to the rundown. That might be our big Ohio State topic for the week. I will say, going off of what you told me, Hayden, because you send me Luckily for me, I get the cheap route. I don't have to spend the money on the message boards. If there's anything of worth value, it seems like you're sending me a screenshot of it. So I will say, yeah, after about 45 calls to tattoo shops threatening people in Columbus last night, I am happy to report that no one is going to come forward. That's good. Otherwise, my final thought for you guys is they came out with the time today for the Oregon game. It's a big noon kickoff yet again. I love Gus Johnson. I love Joel Klatt. I love Fox. I think they do a great job. It sucks that a game like this is at noon. I feel really bad for Oregon and Oregon fans. I mean, this is a 9 o'clock kick for them out there. You imagine trying to have a few beers at 6, 7 a.m. to watch a game on the East Coast. It's just frustrating. I know it's it's obviously about money, and Fox has... I mean, people watch Ohio State, whether it's noon, 3.30, 8 o'clock, what have you. So there's not much we can do about it. The TV deals locked up through 2023. So I guess get used to seeing the Buckeyes at noon. But just what pisses me off is that somehow, someway, Penn State gets their whiteout games at night still. We don't see the big noon at kickoff for Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan, Penn State, whatever. That frustrates me. But if you guys have anything, great. Otherwise, I'm all done.
2: All good, man. Yeah, I killed it tonight.
0: Well, then, perfect, folks. We will see you guys next week with another edition of Pigskins and Nylon.